Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This is the podcast that brings you the greatest innovation change makers in the world of insurance and insure tech. We speak to innovation leaders from carriers and brokers. We speak to insure tech founders and C-suite executives. And we bring you all of the people that add value to that community, whether it be private equity, venture capitalists, or even people like organizational psychologists and thought leaders and futurists. We try really hard to bring you the most innovative people in the world of insurance on a global basis. So with that in mind, we'd love your support. So please like, share, follow or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Bond. Welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is a leading insurtech specialist recruitment business that operates on a global basis. We have delivered assignments across North America, throughout Europe and into Asia. We are super excited to speak to anyone who has some recruitment challenges that is either starting or scaling a business. And we're confident we can help you find the people to help you innovate the world of insurance one new hire at a time please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com for more information. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Megan, who is CEO of Anansi. Um, Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Alex. Very happy to be here today. Yeah, well, I, I, thank you for being here. I've already complimented you on your excellent plants in the background. Um, so, uh, <laughs> These are real plants. This isn't a Zoom background. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that's the thing. That's what I think is rare about them. I was like, you've got a nice looking background that's very well curated. So uh, uh, I applaud you on that. Um, I'm running a sort of unofficial um, uh, competition for the best background on the podcast. Uh, oh, great. And, and, and you're up there. You're up there just because it's not a dodgy fake uh, Zoom background like mine. Um, <laughs> so um, look, before um, we dive into to the podcast It'd be wonderful if you could introduce um, yourself and, and, and the Anansi business please. Yes of course so I'm Megan I'm the co-founder and CEO of Anansi and we're on a mission to digitize goods in transit insurance to make it faster fairer and more flexible for e-commerce businesses globally. Fantastic! Look at that. That's uh, succinct. We've uh, we've been on the pitch round uh, funding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we just have a new marketing person, so we've we've, we've now got oh, the really? smoother sales <laughs> or elevator pitch now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I always think that um, I've said a few times. I think I think if you can't get it in a couple of sentences, then then the definition of what the business is doing is 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 uh, not clear enough. Um, so that's fantastic. Goods in transit um, insurance. Um, presumably, how does that work from a mechanics? point of view it's, it's an embedded insurance offering yes absolutely so we're embedded directly into well for example third-party logistics or e-commerce platforms and eventually large retailers and freight forwarders so we mm-hmm. have a sort of data connection a continuous data connection so we see when items are being shipped we then augment that with tracking data so that we can then monitor all the items when they leave the warehouse and that enables us to settle claims parametrically so effectively lost and delayed parcels are a parametric process and it just happens in the background with the policyholder not needing to do anything and then for damage which we're launching next month they will have to submit uh, photographic evidence and then our claims administrator will take a look but we still do all of the claims payments directly back into their bank accounts the whole process is from end to end as smooth and automated as we can make it fantastic yeah um it's such a slick solution i think to such a kind of 
an obvious problem. And, and I want to say it's obvious, but but it's always obvious when someone come, kind of goes, that's what we're going to do, and they come up with it. And, um, but I always think those are the best ideas. It's such a, um, and particularly with the use case now, uh, you know, it's so much, uh, we're obsessed with getting everything delivered. Uh, I don't think I've been to a shop in years now. Um, I'm, one <laughs> these, I'm one of these dreadful people that just gets everything delivered. Um, I, I was going to ask you about embedded. Um, obviously, we're at the sort of almost, I don't know, the the, the height. I don't think it's the height because I think embedded is just a very natural solution to insurance and, and distribution of insurance. Um, but do you worry that there's so much going on in embedded that that impacts your ability to grow? Um, uh, sorry to start with a kind of like challenging, slightly negative. No, no, question, no, no, but... no, not at all. I mean, I so I mean, we were both obviously at InsureTech Insights the other week, mm. and obviously everyone's talking about embedded. But the thing, one of the big takeaways for me is that I think a lot of people are talking a little bit across purposes when they're talking about embedded, and right. that's part of the problem. Mm. So um, we have this in the keynotes uh, from Ericsson Chan, where you know he said basically embedded insurance is in putting insurance into distribution channels via API isn't new and that's not really a revol revolution mm -hmm. and that's why there are a lot of people asking questions you know isn't this just affinity insurance rebranded you know which effectively if that's your definition of embedded it basically is you know it's, it's not you know it's not really sort of moving you know changing anything significantly than you know moving something online that wasn't you know was it's maybe previously more more offline but mm -hmm. what we're talking about with embedded um is isn't is, is really like the whole process from end to end so and we see obviously distribution is very key for any insurance mga you, know, you need to get the distribution to get the scale but the real improvement or that i guess what we're really trying to do is to improve the underlying product and it's mm -hmm. really having access to the data which is what enables us to provide this sort of insurance without inconvenience um, sort of type of concept. And that's where we see the real benefit of embedding insurance, because, you know, I guess the issue is that once you have access to the data, you're then able to do some much more exciting things around personalization of the offer. You can also look at in the future pricing and how you can make that pricing a lot more personalized. And then you can also have that embedded kind of sort of automated you know, parametric claims experience as well through having access to the data. So I mm. guess when we look at embedded, we're looking at it with a very particular lens about this end-to-end -end digitized solution and how we can really deliver insurance that just works in the background without a lot of input from, from the user. So mm. it goes far beyond just placing it in a, in a platform and then really hoping for the best because there's no point you know, buying an insurance product really easily and then something goes wrong and you have this terrible claims experience. And <laughs> And then you wonder why you did it in the first place. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing with a slight wry uh, grin because because that's what happened to me. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important distinction. Is like that like you're sort of trying to offer this true embedded, happening in the background, frictionless process, as mm -hmm. opposed to I think when a lot of people talk about embedded or think about embedded, uh, particularly when they align it with affinity, they're talking about an embedded sales you know it's an embedded sale of insurance exactly and, and, and nothing else you know and, and and then that's not that's not shifting the dial as, as you rightly said that's just that's just you know i've never bought it and also i don't know if it works either because you're not i know i'm not getting anything new so for example i've never bought travel insurance via a airplane you know, but when I've booked a flight, I've never booked, bought that travel insurance. I've subsequently then gone and bought travel insurance. Um, I would buy it if it offered me something richer and different and, exactly. and more 
ingrained with my process um so yeah very very different so uh yeah i think that distinction is re really important and the other um, distinction you bring up really well is that when a lot of people talk about embedded they stop at when they at the personal lines insurance mm. so i was at a, a presentation that webinar i think it was last week with mckinsey and they'd done this whole risk report around embedded insurance and they literally didn't mention anything about small business insurance or, or commercial mm -hmm. lines or how you can embed and, and that's really where we see this huge opportunity effectively mm, mm. that's really interesting i was reading a report yesterday which wasn't the same before and it was like these are 15 embedded insurance uh providers well firstly they weren't um <laughs> and uh, some of them weren't and 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 also it in itself they'd not explored the, the different differential between them and and it was massive some were personal lines focused some were commercial lines focused some were entire um, like they've listed Element, which is a you know a carrier which happens to have this sort of embedded as, as a distribution model. Um, you 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 had others that were just offering software. So I, I think I think it's a I would almost take it back to insure tech. Mm. You know, I was asked earlier, what do you include within that? Because we say that we're an insure tech specialist um, recruitment business. And and someone really put me on the back foot a little bit and said, "Well, we'll define it." And I said, "Well, that, no, that I, I appreciate that's one of the problems. Well, what what is that?" Um, and and when we get into these ter these terms, embedded, you know, we have to be very clear what what we mean when we're defining that. But I think I think some of the misconceptions are the things that are leading people you know lazy commentators like me going well everyone's talking about embedded and what's different about it um which is why i wanted to start with that because i think it's important that we define you know what's different about the business and the different exactly. business model um so i want to talk about claims because i think it's really important um that we talk about claims you know the fact that you're kind of building this in for that you've got parametric as, as, as one method but also you're looking at damage so you're going to kind of have a claims process um you talk about claims being a, a, a sort of key uh, to an excellent insurance experience. What does that mean for you in practical terms? What 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 are you going to put in play that's going to make that claims process, you know, best in class? Well, claims is my favourite topic in insurance. <laughs> yes, uh, because... it's not just me. <laughs> and, and, and my team are already starting laughing at me because every time I write a blog post, I always have this phrase that claims is the shop window for insurance because mm -hmm. effectively that's that's what we're doing. You know, we're promising yeah. that we'll pay, pay a claim, a valid claim, you know, when it's due and valid. <laughs> there's a lot of work in that sentence as, as well. Sure. So, you know, but I mean, I think for me, claims really starts um, at the point of the sale, the whole, the whole claims process. So, you know, firstly, are you being very clear about, you know, what is and what is not covered as part of this product? You know, when someone take takes this on and you know i think any any insurance company has always got to continue to sort of challenge themselves as to you know how are they presenting information is it as clear as possible and you know are people really clear so for example at the moment we only cover lost and delayed parcels we're bringing in damage next month so we have to be very upfront that you know about what's not covered and you know which but, you know, we only currently serve the UK, we're then adding international pricing. So we don't want to, you know, someone to purchase the insurance on an understanding that's a bit of a misconception. So that's obviously mm -hmm. the key first part of the claim. Are you getting in, going in with your eyes open? And, you know, is there sufficient knowledge around, around the product? Is there customer service? Can you ask questions? And that sort of thing. 
But then mm -hmm. when you come to, I guess, what more people think about as claims is the actual process itself. As I mentioned, we're using a parametric process to assess lost and delayed parcels. So we have, uh, so our platform is able to calculate an expected delivery date for an item when it is when it departs the warehouse, and then we we basically monitor the item to see is it delivered a day later than that date, or after five days it's sort of deemed as being lost. But then we have an audit process to make sure it doesn't have hasn't turned up and it's not just a sort of an issue with the data mm. so you know we do see there's a huge amount of opportunity in, in parametric insurance for using data in order to you know do a lot of the heavy lifting around claims because you know why should people have to fill in a form of data that actually the insurance company already has in order yeah. to make a claim so we yeah. want to really just make sure that people are you know our, our policyholders only have to do the minimum amount of work in order to you know to really get those claims paid you know we have a dashboard so they can see you know where you know you know where items are what's being delivered and where claims you know may you know you know where claims have arisen during the month and then you know then you know we, we are bringing in this parametric process for claims assessment for the uh, for the damage items with our with our claims administrator but i think the other exciting thing that we're doing on claims is integrating open banking so we currently have a connection with our because we're it's a business to business product so we mm -hmm. we effectively have a connection with the businesses um, who have our insurance so at the end of the month after they played their premium seven days later we settle all of the claims which have happened during that month as well directly into their bank account mm -hmm. so you know again they don't you know there's no further transferring of de details everything's all connected and it should just really run smoothly from from that moment onwards mm. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? I mean, I think that's what's so frustrating about it. So, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know if I shared this with you, but um, so I, I, I worked in claims and then I, for the first eight years of my recruitment career, I only hired claims professionals, senior claims professionals. So um, I'm a big one for champion claims. But but one of the things I've, I've raised a couple of times now, and it took me ages to sort of spot this, but I had all these, you know, I think we're nearly 100 podcasts in, had all these conversations about customer centricity. But I was only talking to insure techs that essentially dealt with distribution. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought, well, where's the investment in claims? Where's the investment in claims technology? Where's the kind of streamlining of that process and making that process better? Because if we're talking about customer centricity, again, that's what you're buying with insurance is a promise to pay. Um, and, and, I, and I think it's so crucial what you said there is, is, is that it comes back to the all the way to the start because all the complaints we ever got when so i worked in commercial claims and i deal with relationship it was always about lack of clarity about what was covered and what wasn't covered yeah. and lack of lack of communication because if you're going to get a no it's not covered you want that as quick as possible mm. you know it's it, it's it's like anything so um but it amazes me how sort of simple that that is um going beyond kind of what you've got planned on the slate is is there any kind of desire to build in things like you know visual ai so people can oh, 100 percent. yeah yeah absolutely so i mean you know so we're still at the i guess the earlier stage of our journey you know of it was of, of, of building out the platform but we can definitely see in the future there's an opportunity to, to build out some some visual ai so that you know we can you know particularly for the smaller or the mess maybe the less valuable uh, um items that we're shipping so that there's a way of you know fully automating that process you know below a certain threshold of you know is is the item is the item really damaged and then we can then we can completely automate that and that will obviously then bring down the cost of servicing those smaller claims as well which which again is another benefit to the customers that we're working with
Cool. Um, and I want to, I want to talk to you now about partnerships. Um, obviously, with embedded, that's key to success uh, mm-hmm. uh, of a solution. You know what? I put put this down as what opportunities have partnerships provided for you, um, which I think is a really bad question. I'm wondering why I, I let it go out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I suppose I wanted to dig into like, yeah, what is a partnership? What, how does it work for you? Um, where do you see the kind of, where are you now with your partnerships? Where do you see it going in the future? um and 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 then to kind of move on to talk about stumbling blocks but just just to sort of start with you know where are you now with partnerships and 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 where do you where do you want to be where do you see this going mm-hmm. well you know we definitely see partnerships as being a really key pillar of our distribution strategy you know mm-hmm. because as as we all know no one wakes up in the morning thinking about where they can buy <laughs> buy additional features of insurance yeah. so and then the, you know as we mentioned before when we were talking about embedding the whole industry is moving towards you know insurance being sold in places where it's most relevant to people mm. and you know partnerships is you know is, is really the way of doing that and you know effectively it's it's actually almost like a sort of a win-win for the partners that we're speaking to so we're starting with third-party logistics partners so these are the businesses so if you have an e-commerce business um you know often you send your items to a warehouse um mm. so if they come from you know wherever china or wherever you've, you've had your thing built the whole you know the I guess all of the stock goes to these third-party logistics partners and they then break it down as you get sales into the smaller packages, package that together and they send it out. So they're the sort of hub for your business in whichever your country is. They're being asked every day by the businesses that work with them how to find insurance. And at the moment, they don't really have a very good recommendation to make because, you know, a lot of their companies have had maybe bad experiences with some of the other alternative providers. So for us to be able to go in to say, look, we can, you know, plug into your platform, which is already connected to all the other e-commerce platforms. You know, we can just take that data directly and we can offer a solution which is, you know, much faster, fairer, more flexible for for the businesses you work with. It's... Mm -hmm. um, it's it's really been very well received by those sorts of businesses because it's an add-on that they can provide you know obviously they they will have a share of the sort of commission structure there because they're you know they're obviously key in that distribution chain so Mm -hmm. you know it's really you know it's it's really helping them provide a better solution to their customers and also giving us access to to relevant customers for us and you know we're also having similar conversations with e-commerce platforms online marketplaces large retailers and then in the future as we are able to deal with much larger shipments with freight forwarders and such like yeah 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 it's, it's really di- you've got a really diverse array of partners doesn't you because the, the solution has like multiple touch points so it's quite an interesting and um proposition and and could someone come to directly to you as well and buy it or, or is it only going to be you know distributed via those kind of partnerships so i guess the key to data is key to actually enabling us to provide this product so we need to have some connection to to the stores i you know sort of i guess information about what they have in their warehouse and when the things are leaving so we you know we do have a connection on shopify so shopify businesses can use use our our, um use our our insurance uh, product and then beyond that we'll be embedding directly with logistics partners who often serve businesses that have a variety of different uh, e-commerce platforms they work with Mm -hmm. so i guess that's going to be one of the sort of strategic issues we'll be grappling with over the next few years as to you know i guess you know the trade-offs between we don't have infinite resources so we will have to pick our bets in terms of you know which platforms and partners to embed with and that's really going to be key to to see how quickly we're going to be able to scale the solution 
Mm. And it's interesting once once you've got those partnerships with those those businesses, you know, I'm already thinking of like other other opportunities for insurance distribution via the same partners. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a viewpoint that you might yourself do a partnership with another insurtech, for example, that has a uh, would have a benefit from being embedded into Shopify, or would you potentially look at new lines of business? as you as you kind of grow um yeah no it's a really interesting idea because actually you know when when we embarked on this part of this strategy we were very much thinking along this is what we want from a partnership but now yeah. suddenly all these other ideas are coming uh, coming out of the woodwork because as we start having conversations so there's also the, the partners that we're working with so for example the logistics partners mm-hmm. would also like us to refer them to new business as well so it works it could work two ways as mm-hmm. in if we find businesses that, that want to have our solution but the way to do that would be with one of those partners that could be a partnership similarly there might be other insurance companies that have maybe um, lines of insurance which are related to what we want to do but not what we want to do so for example on the trade credit side or the product liability side we could potentially have some sort of introducer arrangement there so it, it mm-hmm. could end up being this kind of multi-dimensional partnership matrix <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, with, yeah. with what we're doing but I mean I think at the moment we want to be quite focused I think it's quite difficult um, I think one thing we were really advised by some of the so, so we have some um, investors who are very senior in the insurance industry mm-hmm. and originally we were kind of looking at doing you know, a much wider range of insurance products for the for you know within the e-commerce market and they really advised that, look if you narrow down just focus on one line of business and do it really excellently and get scale with that you know that, you know that's going to enable you to grow much more quickly than to having all of this complexity of adding it's you know other insurance lines effectively yeah 100 percent um yeah i can see that as well um do do one thing do it well and then then worry about the other multiple choice options that you're going to uh, offer um uh, so what i want to take it back to the beginning actually because you're um uh, I'm sort of running out of ways to say this politely to people now. It's like you're not an insurance person per se. Uh, like, <laughs> like and you've had a really interesting career. So, so I, I sort of wondered to, wanted to know, and I'm, I appreciate I'm going completely off the script now. Um, you know, why insurance? Why insure tech? And and why now? I think is is kind of my uh, my, my yeah. Question. No, absolutely. No, happy to answer that. So I guess you know, I so I worked in VC for a number of years, uh, mm. specialising in clean technology and industrial efficiency, and I got really excited about you know the businesses that we were seeing, which were taking software and using it to improve an industrial process. Mm-hmm. So we were working with businesses like telematics businesses and process efficiency, and it's interesting now to see you know telematics being so such a key part of the insurtech industry now mm. you know seeing it having seen it from a different context a number of years ago mm-hmm. so i left that because i really wanted to actually be you know have a startup or work in a startup and that, so i took a bit of a deep dive into data science and some of the machine learning really early stage machine learning projects and then and then i sort of stumbled across the insurance industry and you know all of the work that people were doing to bring more continuous data particularly into insurance products um you know originally started looking you know very broadly at sort of the small business insurance sector. And then we narrowed mm. down to here. And Anna, my co-founder, comes from a fintech background. So she was one of the early developers at Money Farm, also worked in BNP Paribas risk systems department. And she was really excited about, you know, how we could bring some of the developments and the data pipeline she'd worked on in, in the fintech space into a, an insurance, a business insurance uh, product. And, and that's really how we started out. 
Sure. And how did you know each other as, as co-founders? Did you did you know? Um, each so other we briefly? met when we were both in London. Oh, we we're both mm. in the UK, rather. So yeah. So she was working in London. She was keen, kind of uh, you know keen to you know to to take the leap in, into a startup. And yeah, we met in the you know in the days when we used to have meetups and <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> be able yeah. to, to actually meet other human beings <laughs> from time to time when we left our houses. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was so funny. I mean, you mentioned InsureTech uh, Insights, which obviously you and I uh, met face to face, having spoken previously. Um, and I was just saying how strange it was for me but but what i've found now is that i do so many meetings on zoom mm-hmm. listen to so many podcasts and everyone me included has <laughs> a podcast these days that i was kind of almost over familiar with people and i was like oh i've met that person it acted like we i know suddenly went oh i've never met them in person um but it does show you the importance of that and i think um you know when you go back to your vc days um when i started working with vcs mainly when I started doing insurtech um, specialist recruitment business stuff was was how important networks are and how important it is to kind of you know just have people to turn to for advice and me and 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 you only really I think you only truly feel comfortable doing that when these are people that you've got to know in person um I, I suspect that will change I'm definitely getting better at kind of just building rapport over kind of meetings but but I think you know you still miss that bit of magic um i can't i can't i know people have done this but i can't imagine starting a business with someone that i've never met in person yeah. Oh, no, I can't. And, and also because we, well, obviously we started, you know, pre-pandemic, we also, although we start, we've, we've been basically worked remotely with each other from day one. We have spent a number, about six months working in the same office and, and speaking to each other on a more daily basis. So we know each other really well. And it yes. was that foundation we then used to move, you know, to work with each other remotely. But, sure. um, but definitely there are other people in the team that I've never met. We've, we've just recruited them over Zoom and we've been working together for months and we've never actually met in person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so strange. I, I, I wanted to ask you about that then, you know, your experience of building an insurtech in the midst of a pandemic. Um, and aside from your co-founder, I'd imagine most of the team were hired remotely or? And, everyone was hired remotely. Everyone yes. was hired remotely. So what was that experience like? Um, yeah. Well, we were always planning to be a fully remote team even before the pandemic. So it, right. was, it was always very much in our, our DNA. At one point, Dad, Anna was quite keen to be a digital nomad and sort of move around Europe. And, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that, you know, obviously that pandemic has sort of curtailed our abilities to, to do that. So yeah. she's based in Portugal and, you know, we've got a number of other team members in Portugal and, and the UK and I'm, I'm in Germany as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, I mean, I think the key difference with a remote team is we just had to be very intentional about every step of the way, you know, mm. even from being a very early stage. So, you know, you know, what were our, you know, the values that we have, you know, as, you know, so the, you know, so we have a foundation for how we interact with each other, you know, how we go about recruitment and making, taking a lot of care in the onboarding process. You know, it's not just like someone's going to turn up next week and they just get given a laptop or something. We you know we have to make sure that they know, you know, how we work and, you know, how they, how they can move into the team. And then, mm. you know, obviously we have to have, you know, some, you know, some business processes that enable us all to 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 work together like that but you know and and it will always evolve you know we're eight people now you know when we're sort of 20 20 people it'll be very very different sort of business but um you know i think it's being a fully remote sort of team is one of the things our team members really appreciate and it has really attracted some some really high quality people that we could just not ever have recruited if we were forcing everyone into an office in london three days a week sure sure how do you um how do you instill a sense of culture remotely? What 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 have you and 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 I'm, I'm 
you know, I'm, I'm obviously only from your experience. Uh, I'm not asking you to solve culture from remote teams for us. But what have you? What, what sort of little steps have you made to kind of make sure that there's still a culture there for the business? Mm. I mean, I think it starts with all of the small things. Uh, well, well, it starts with the big things, which is so we've got some company values, which we started very early in the, in the journey of the, of the business. So, you know, and, and we have a mixture of sort of team values, which is how we are, how we interact with each other and organizational values. So how we as a group of people, you know, how we, we're running our business, you know, how we how we treat our customers and, and that sort of thing. And then, you know, we, we, we you know we've always been very sort of intentional that, you know, even with in terms of how we do project management, mm-hmm. um, um, we have one system which the whole company uses because we've heard that, you know, you, some people have, you know, a system that the de- developers use and then marketing yeah. uses something totally different. And then no one, everyone's just interacting in all these different ways. So, you know, we have, you know, Everyone uses, well, use, we use monday.com. Um, so mm-hmm. we're setting this whole thing up. So you can see there's a lot of transparency across the organization. So everyone can kind of see what's going on, who's doing what. And, you know, we, you know, we have regular team meetings, you know, where we, we discuss communication, actually. It's always a, a, like a standing thing, you know, what, what's working, what's not working, how can we improve, how we, how we work together. And uh, it's interesting because every person you bring into the team they bring us sort of a new dynamic so mm. how we how we do doing team socials a couple of months ago might be changing now that we have p- different personality types and people with new ideas about how we do things so it will always sort of be ebbing and flowing and evolving over time but um mm. i think obviously the values of the foundation and having transparency and continuous communication you know it's like any relationship but you know organizational yeah. relationship that sort of you know, evolves over time yeah no no i i i completely bind uh, but even on your idea about culture, I mean, it's sometimes the small things like mm-hmm. you know, we, we were just having some branding, you know, with our new marketing person coming in and just having, you know, even when someone starts an internal document to have it branded. So you remember you're working, you know, this is the company you're working for. You know, we have this sort of, you know, so you're, you're, you're coming into Slack and you're, you know, you're sort of seeing things, you know, done in a certain way. I think, you know, even those small things you know, make a difference. So you're not you're not going in and seeing the logo of the company on the walls or, you know, the door but you're coming into you know slack and monday so it's like a virtual environment it's it's a virtual environment but you're still seeing uh, reminders during the day that of of of, you know who you're working with and uh, what this business stands for Mm, i think that's so important i was talking to someone um earlier uh, a potential client actually before this call and we were talking about that and they're they're uh, well, like most of my clients are a very early stage business. There are 11 people. They're going to be 20 people by the end of the year. Um, and we were talking about, you know, what's in place. And and it's very refreshing and re- it's quite sort of uh, good for me to hear. They were going, we like to think like a 50-person business and we're a 10-person business. And when we're a 50-person business, we think we need to think, think like a 200-person business. And I thought that was always a really healthy thing. I mean, from a recruitment standpoint, you know, one of the things that I'm always slightly aghast and shocked and horrified by is 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 the lack of a process for example and 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 it doesn't have to be complicated but you know what who's responsible for the recruitment process what is that recruitment process what does it look like because similarly to you coming on board and everything has to be branded i think everyone has to have the same experience coming in um you know that's that speaks to fairness but it also speaks to just professionalism you know people join businesses that are small 
but they don't join businesses that are not professional, you know, that are not so you know, structured uh, because, because you have to feel reassured, you know, you, you go, well, they ran a really good process. Oh, I feel reassured this was a proper, you know, uh, onboarding process. Um, and the, the, here's a laptop and go and sit in your bedroom and, and you work for the business remotely now is, is, is the horror story. Um, yes, exactly. But I think a lot of people experience that. Um, and that's... But people experience that in in-person businesses. I mean, yeah. um, you know, we had someone who joined us and they said that their previous uh, business wasn't remote, but they turned up and there was no one at the office. <laughs> they weren't even sure if they got to the right place. And and then they were sort of wandering around and then someone turned up and they got a laptop and it was, it was just horrendous. There was, that was yeah. it. <laughs> I, I've, I've had, uh, I've had some, I mean, obviously I've been doing this a long time, I, I, but one that always resonates with me that was that we'd I would run a search for a really senior hire for a London market um, services business in the insurance industry and they had a bit of a mixed reputation at the time they're having problems with their share prices and all of this came out for the process and we'd, we'd, we'd thought of this is how we're going to tackle that messaging we're going to this is how we're going to tackle that and, and we've done it and it wasn't we weren't being disingenuous it was just we're actually let being really transparent which is something i always encourage to say like this is the problem this is what we're doing about it and we ran a really good search and found a fantastic person to join the business resign they start this business and on day one they had back in the day of business they, they had no business cards ready they hadn't sorted them out of their phone they didn't have their laptop they didn't even have a desk um and it was just all of these things so they're going all of the things i was worried about this business um just sort of really hit home and that person left within three Such months a shame yeah, yeah. because and, there's no point in you know doing all this work to hire people if you then can't can't keep them afterwards it's it'd be like selling insurance and then providing bad claims you know you're yeah. you're gonna you're gonna lose that person um so we mentioned values you know in this conversation and i had a specific we'd had a specific conversation about values and strong values and um you know why has it been so important for you to have these like strong company values from day one um and i, I know that kind of almost answers itself but i, I really want to just kind of get your view on why it's important to i suppose businesses really especially mm -hmm. coming from your venture background to have strong values from day one mm. i mean I think, you know, I think the values really are the foundation. So, you know, they really sort of set the tone for how you want to operate. And it's very difficult to retrofit values um, on a business. So, um, and that, you know, everyone has values, which I think reflect the leadership personally. So, you know, Anna and I have values that, you know, which, which we believe in. So, you know, people first is our first value and that, you know, that's always been the sort of foundational one. But, um, you know, I think, you know, definitely it helps with recruit with, with recruiting people. So mm -hmm. we've had a couple of people who've come to us recently who've said they've literally never seen the word integrity in the company's values before or in the job description of any, any, any type. And, uh, you know, but it's not, it's not just enough also to have these values. They you also need to live them. So, you know, finding ways to, you know, celebrate people or, you know, celebrate the values or recognize people that have acted in accordance with the values or you know when you're making decisions to refer back to you know the values as well so that's an ongoing you know that you know it just sort of gives you I guess a north star for if you're doing something what how are you going to go about doing that what you know what what is this you know what what way does this organization operate effectively so I think that's why we started off with those values yeah I think the retrofitting things really really interesting i mean I, you're saying about integrity <laughs> i worked at a business that had integrity written on the walls and it was a great business integrity was not part of the value structure like it just <laughs> it just wasn't it was like you can write it on the walls many times you like but it's it's not 
it just wasn't core. And that, and do you know what? That's okay. I'm not suggesting that it was just some Machiavellian awful business. It wasn't, but it, it was a sales focused business and it was, yeah. it was focused on sales and not at any cost, but certainly kind of, it wasn't like, oh, integrity is our core value. Um, and, and, and I thought you're trying to create values that you, you're not living yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's like going. I'm going to go to the gym six times a week. When you know you're only going three, three's fine. It's fine to say three. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it does, like everyone, I think the thing, the key of values is authenticity. Yes. So I don't know if you've read uh, Super Pumped uh, by Mike Isaac about Uber. I haven't. No, no. It's I such haven't. a great book. So it goes, you know, it's, it's this whole like expose into like Uber from day one. Mm. And uh, um, actually, I really like the original Uber values mm-hmm. because whatever you, you know, whatever you think about Uber as a business, the values really reflected the founders and actually how the business operated and I think they were they were really authentic values that helped to drive that the growth of that business through all of those mm. times and then it's so interesting then seeing the the second version of the values which came in with a new CEO and you know it's probably a similar situation where they, those are the values on the wall but do they really reflect the organization yeah. and it's yeah. because they're not they're not sort of you know sort of organically built from the sort of the ground up as it were so yeah mm. it's, it's interesting I, I think that's the thing with founder-led businesses, which I find so interesting. With, with founder-led businesses or, 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 you know, or founding teams still in the building, I think you, as a founder, one of the great um, privileges is you get to you get to imprint your own values on on that business. Um, but once a business hits scale, I'm always that you you need to ask the business, you ask the team, what are our values. You can't dictate them. At that point, a business becomes big enough that if it's not core and it's not grown out and therefore, you know, you can keep integrity as one of your values if it's been the lifeblood of that business. But once you get to a certain size, you have to ask for the team and the team might say integrity and that's great, but they also might say some other values. And you kind of, you struggle at that point. It's, you know, it's like trying to herd water. You know, at that point, you're, it's, a, it's a living, breathing thing and it's very difficult to do. So, yeah, the one of the privileges, I think, of starting any business is, is, is values. I mean, the reason I started my business is I didn't believe in the value structure of a lot of recruitment businesses out there. Um, there's some great ones. I just hadn't, and I'd worked with some great ones, but still the things that I found important were you know sort of long-term relationships and creativity and try and do things differently. And, and, and it was more like, no hard work and do the same thing all the time constantly and and that was successful from a, a, a sort of sales perspective but I, I just didn't believe in it and and, and I, thought, I thought it could be done differently but uh, but it, it, it you have to start a business to have that opportunity I, I really don't even think you can go in as a CEO and the Uber example is perfect and then dictate the 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 culture I just don't think you can do that um I'm sure someone will disagree with me and that's fine um uh, yeah t- talking about kind of like broader values something else you'd written about um which was I wanted to ask you on a practical level how this works but also kind of you know how you've looked at diversity and inclusion at Anansi mm-hmm. um because it's something that that I'd you know you and I've spoken about and that, and that you'd written about um and kind of what practical sort of measures and steps um you're taking in, in, in growing a business along those lines? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, something really, we're really passionate about. And, you know, I think obviously, you know, we are a diverse founding team. So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we're living that, you know, so we're an example of that, I guess, within the business. So that's a start. But, um, you know, obviously, but saying that we, we do see diversity spanning beyond gender. So it does cover, you know, neurodiversity, educational backgrounds, you know, race and, and all those other things. So I think it's important to see diversity in a quite holistic sense. I mean, I guess, you know, what, what we're, you know, I guess in terms of like practical things, uh, we, we do see it coming down to, you know, I guess the small, more day-to-day -day nitty gritty things. So it's things like, you know, where are you placing job ads? Uh, you know, for example, you know, are you Think you know? Are you thinking very intentionally about you know where, where, what you're doing with that? How are you writing those those ads? You know, is the mm. language that you're using um, going to attract a diverse candidate? So we've got something about encouraging people with 75% of the skills to apply, uh, because studies have shown that you know often women are put off if they don't meet every single bit of the criteria. And you know that was definitely something that attracted uh, you know our partnerships lead to, to applying for the role, even though she hadn't worked for a startup before, for example. And you know I think there's also you know things like you know who's then being actually take you know going through the process of being interviewed you know you, you know, is, is the diversity going through that whole process you know having you know making sure that you know you're careful about the questions that you're asking people and then you know as we mentioned before that it's not enough even once you've made a diverse um, hire to you know make sure that people feel valued and included in mm. how we go about doing things so for example we've got our first team retreat coming up next week so you know we've got to think about you know not everyone wants to drink you know heavily yeah. you yeah. know not every you know so you, know, you just got to think you know plan activity everyone's different ages as well you know we've got a real diverse range of people you know people have you know very like very different interests so you know how can we plan some time that we can get to know each other but mm. you know everyone will feel included in the activities and uh you know we'll, we'll all come away you know having you know really appreciated the you know the time together so it just really requires you to, to always think with a bit of a diversity lens you know in in really the holistic sense of you know how you're going about doing things mm. yeah i think it's so important that it's, it's, it's so underplayed i was i had my um it's not very helpful for a podcast but i was smiling throughout when you were saying about where you place your job ads and and how you write your job ads and um yeah and it was great i remember you telling me before that your um, your partnerships leads had brought that up and, and you had that specific line saying look if you've only got 75 percent of these skills please apply uh, we want to talk to you um but does that mean that I suppose what going on from the practical steps, does that mean that you have to spend more time on it than than perhaps otherwise you might? Do you think? And so there's there's a time you know you have to be prepared to commit that time. Um, and does but that, this is a problem. Yeah. You know, when people say, "Oh, there's a trade-off," you know, "Oh, we're spending," you know, because it's not a lot more time. Like what you know, right. I guess the alternative is if you spend, you, you you take the time to have a proper process in the first place, and then you don't then have to spend months trying to find someone because someone you've recruited leaves after like three months, and and also the money you may have spent recruiting them as well. Mm. Um, so I think it's just important that you know people look at it as diversity isn't like this thing that you just add on to the business. It mm. really Really is integral to you know having a workforce that reflects your customer base so it's going to make you much more better able to to serve the customers you're working with and also there's all this research showing diverse teams perform better and it was interesting because I saw some research the other day that said that actually it's because there's like more conflict in a way 
between diverse teams because people have these different perspectives and that's sure. what makes the businesses better as well yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, so obviously it takes more time to maybe make a decision when mm. you're not all a homogenous group but the mm-hmm. end decision will be a better one so yeah it takes a bit more time at the start but ultimately it's it's going to save you time because you're going to be running the business in a much better way I, you've just you've just leapt into my edited versions of this uh, podcast where I'm just going to be putting this out of <laughs> sending it to all the startups I know because yeah I, I, I completely you know one thing that frustrates me about you know because it all comes back to hiring right like it's hiring well takes time and, and takes and, and you either you either pay someone externally like a recruitment business to to take some of that time away from you or you have to commit more time to it as a, as a team but it's going to cost you something in terms of time but exactly to your point yeah all the evidence is out there diverse teams have make better decisions they 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 grow faster you know like so so you're not it's a false economy to not spend that time uh to get that right um and, and to kind of make sure people are kind of and why wouldn't you want to take the time to get businesses more, more welcoming more open attracts you know therefore attracts the very best talent whoever they may be and wherever they may come from or or, or what their kind of interests or or, or kind of um you know needs be um uh, one of the interesting points i wanted to ask you kind of what 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 are you concluding on your retreat then because that's something i've always thought so that came <laughs> that came back from so when, when i did work last work at a recruitment business we we actually had we had a search business and a contingent business so we had this kind of real melting pot of lots of kind of quite young people um lots of older you know sort of much more experienced members of staff very different backgrounds um because one was like fast moving it tech recruitment and the other was like you know very traditional insurance and then and then we had this uh uh this this person who's the, the ceo's pa who was also you know 25 year old girl who had a particular interest where we all ended up hiring out like a west london nightclub and almost <laughs> everyone was sat in it going why are we here? Like, you know, <laughs> we don't want to be here. Um, so I think getting events right is actually really, really tricky. So what have you, what are you going to go with? Has, has it been decided yet? Well, we're going to Portugal, so um, very nice. which is very, very nice. So we're excited for that. And um, yeah, I think it's really very much food centered. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, you know, food is generally a leveler for, for people. So, <laughs> you know, we're just going to be enjoying lots of like local Portuguese cuisine and, uh, and you know, you know, just spending some time together. We've got lovely villa that we, we're staying at and uh, there'll be a bit of work so you know part of the day will be um you know we'll be doing some you know some activities to to get to know each other a little bit better and sure. uh, but you know not too much work so there'll also be some um you know some other uh you know hiking bit of a hike and nice. uh, some wine tasting as well which will be fun yeah very nice very nice yeah i'm very jealous though i'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll have to apply i want i want i want to go to portugal um <laughs> But um, look, thank you so much. I, I won't, uh, I won't overstay our welcome because otherwise we'll uh, we'll see this massive drop off of, uh, of of listeners. But look, I think we could talk. I, I could talk to you all day. Um, so thank you so much for being a guest. Um, I'm super excited to see um, what you guys get up to. Particularly as I think, I think you've defined embedded for me in in a, in in a way of clarity that I've not yet sort of seen um and, and again i think it comes back to the clarity of your mission and sticking to that you know this, this particular line of business this particular solution um at least for now so yeah super excited to see what you guys get up to but um but thank you so much megan for being a guest on the podcast well thank you for having me i really enjoyed our conversation thank you
As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.